to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Jean-Luc. Jean-Luc. I'm Captain Catherine Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Catherine Janeway of the USS Welcome to The Greatest Generation, the Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. How you doing today, Adam? Living the dream of a Tuesday that feels like a Monday in every <laughs> conceivable way. Wow. We had kind of a conflict yesterday because, uh, not to let the viewers behind the pod too much, yesterday yeah. was the third of a three-day weekend of a federal holiday is what they're called. Yeah, or or if you're my furloughed wife, the fourth of a four-day weekend. But yesterday was the most recent example of us not really having a holiday policy at Uxbridge Shimoda. <laughs> and so our, our collected employees were all over the place on whether or not we were doing our regular Monday stuff. I felt, yeah. I felt extremely bad about it. We need to figure that out. I'm such an alien when it comes to like normal work life that... I don't even really know which three-day weekends people actually get off. I want Uxbridge Shimoda to be the sort of workplace that is very generous with the days off. And yeah, like every Monday is a day off from here on. In Rob's defense, most days are days off for Rob's. So yeah, he's chilling. There's that, but it would be good to have. Uh, we should we should figure it out. We should figure out which holidays are official Uxbridge Shimoda holidays, and I'm sure. You and I could come up with many days that wouldn't automatically populate on a Google calendar, for example. <laughs> we should be one of those cool tech companies that has four-day work weeks. I don't see why not. You know? We should do that. Nothing happens on Monday. If you are editing an episode on Monday, you're doing it wrong. Well, I've been doing it wrong ever since we started this project. <laughs> you remember when the dream was like taking an entire summer off, like teachers? Yeah. Well, like teachers we, used to, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. We've never had that much runway and never will. <laughs> no. I'm just calling it right here. <laughs> God, we're making another great effort. I feel like lately lately you and I are are doubling down on the idea of building a runway. There was a dream that was once called the greatest generation. Yeah. You could only whisper it, for it was so fragile. And like the end of Gladiator, both you and I die in the middle of its construction. <laughs> with, with tens of thousands yeah. of people cheering yeah. at the top of their lungs. Yeah. <laughs> That's how our show ends. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. I, I do feel a lot better lately about editing. We got... We got kind of a new process. You spearheaded a, a whole new post-production process for us. One of the few things I've suggested that actually uh, worked for us instead of against <laughs> us. It's just one of the few things you've suggested, period. Right. That's, that usually falls to me. What if we blank is, is usually a Ben sentence, not an Adam sentence. If it's a new tech thing and I've recently learned about it, it's because Adam Lizagore made a video about it and that's how I learned about the script. <laughs> And so that's what inspired me to start using it. And after muddling my way through it for a couple of edits, it's now like my preferred way to edit the show when it's my turn. Yeah, it's you and I famously edit every other episode of Greatest Gen. Right. All the viewers know that. Yes. And, uh, and, and the way this works is it makes an attempted transcript of the episode that we just recorded. It uses like machine learning speech to text. 
You'll know that this isn't branded content because the process started out with this software very rockily. It was a fucking mess early on. I was ready to throw it out the the window the second time I used it because it was very frustrating initially. Yeah. Um, but also, it's very funny because I think you know speech to text is a technology that has matured immensely um we <laughs> we recently for greatest discovery watched an episode of star trek the original series in which uh speech to text is depicted a uh, an alien says a bunch of stuff to a typewriter and the typewriter types it out and the secretary who's normally the person typing on that typewriter announces that she's quitting her job it's so upsetting to her to see that process yeah but uh this uh this software does have one achilles heel adam and uh i want to do i actually have been keeping a little buck slip at my desk writing down all of the different things that it thinks we might be trying to say when we say the name chakotay Oh, fun. This is a new segment. Well, how do you expect me to type? Not with your fingers. With my nose? Would have definite advantages. Look, it's typing everything I'm saying. Not with your fingers. They'll destroy you. Do you see that? With my nose? There it sits. Stop it! Everything you have done, stop with your fingers. Stop with your fingers. Stop. Well, how do you expect me to type with my nose? Stop. Stop it. Stop. Stop it. Stop. Stop it. Stop it. You thought you could handle it. So handle That does it. I quit. I have a bunch of them here. Uh, it occasionally gets pretty close. I've gotten Chicota and Chicata. Mm-hmm. It's given me Terracotta. Oh, yeah. It's given me Jakarta. Sure. It's given me Chicago. <laughs> you know, you should never play cards with a person with a city name. <laughs> it's given me Chico Day, Chuck Jose. Oh, I like that a lot. It's given me Two Coty. Uh huh. It's given me Dakota. Sure. It's given me Two Go To A. That makes maybe the most sense of all of them. Yeah. And then my my two personal favorites are Checkout Day and Taco Day. Wow. And uh, if if Chicote translates to Taco Day, I might just start calling him Tuesday. I I just might start liking him. <laughs> I know, right? How could you not like Taco Day? Yeah, Taco Day. That's that's one of my favorite guys. Like if he's got tacos in that bindle. <laughs> invite me over, man. <laughs> I'll get in your shuttlecraft and do some weird ceremony with you. Hakuchi Moya, though we are far from the salsas of my father. Yeah, so after like a very rough breaking in period where it took much, much longer to edit an episode, I feel like the, the time to edit has now been reduced. I'll say on my end, I think I've, I've dropped a quarter of the amount of time. Wow. And I think it's coming down more as I, as I learn how to use it better. I got... Basically, yeah, I, I put in like a full day yesterday doing almost nothing but editing, and I'm I'm about halfway through yeah. the second phase, which is after after you do the... Because like the, the advantage of this is you get the text of the episode, and you can actually edit it by saying like, okay, this paragraph mm-hmm. doesn't really go anywhere, so I'll just cut that out. This is yet another conversational dead end that Adam is leading us down, and uh, <laughs> you can really drop some minutes that way. I'm, I'm just saying we really value the Friends of DeSoto's time. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, and so we cut out the stuff that doesn't work. We we trim the fat, and then uh, and then we take it into Audition, our uh, audio editing software, and put in music and sound effects and stuff like that. Yeah. And so I'm I'm halfway through that second half on the episode I'm currently editing, which uh, is pretty quick. Like usually that's you know, two, three days of chipping away at it kind of stuff. It really turns that second phase into the fun stuff. Because once all of the filler words are out and the conversational cul-de-sacs are are trimmed, what you're left with is just like, where would a fun sound effect go to emphasize the comedy? <laughs> what The way it's worked out is that a lot of days I've done that text edit phase and then like done something else and then like come back to it the next day to do the the fun stuff Uh phase and i feel like having heard it once and also like some time to think about it i've got like better ideas for that uh for like sound effects and and drops and things i agree with you because what it forces is a second review of the show whereas before we were going through it in a linear way People will be shocked to hear that this show gets more than one listen through of scrutiny before it goes out every Oh, week. there there are some assholes out there who are who would be shocked to learn that we that we work so hard on it. But <laughs> fuck those people. They don't know. Yeah. I think those people, Adam, are projecting. Which brings us to today's episode. There it is. You remember when we used to pivot that good all the time? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a challenge that we uh, we should return to setting up for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. It's season two, episode three. Projections. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. <laughs> I thought knowing that this was a, a Jonathan Frakes episode, you, you saw the, the task coming up of having to watch it, and then for some reason just avoided watching the episode altogether, even though it was the easiest <laughs> thing you could have done. No way. I didn't want to bother him. So yeah, the, uh, the, the doc, Doc Holliday, finds himself alone in Six Bay. It looks kind of like night mode with the, with the lighting in there. And uh, he, he discovers that the ship is empty. Nobody's answering com badge, taps, nobody there. This is like if the TNG episode 11010101010 began halfway through when Picard and Riker emerged from the holodeck to an empty ship, Mm -hmm. which is like one of the great moments of that season of Star Trek, I think. I love starting an episode with this kind of mystery. The ship's empty. Affirmative. This is a great cold open, yeah. and I'm I'm so hooked. Yeah, and it's uh it and it's it's short too, right? Like it is him wrapping his head around this. I think it's less than a minute that we get with him before we go to theme. When the doc asks the computer, you know, the status and and where the crew is, the ship voice refers to the ship as the ship, and not Voyager. And I think one of the parts of the great TNG episodes is when the computer gives you a reaction that has to do with no longer aboard the Enterprise. And I wonder if that's because the name of the ship is so heavy in Star Trek, especially when that ship's name is Enterprise, that they specifically don't say Voyager because maybe Voyager doesn't have the cachet 
of enterprise. And so they choose not to use it as a way to ground a stressful moment. I kind of wish they had used it. I think that maybe that's one way you build cachet, but also yeah. I kind of wished they had used it just because I uh, my mind was in a lot of places as this mystery unfolds, and one of them was, what if this is a different ship? Yeah, yeah. And it seemed important that the ship had not uh, name-checked itself in answering Doc Holliday's question. That's so interesting. Like, it does emphasize the mystery by not naming the ship off the top, so maybe that was done with some intentionality. Yeah. It put the wrong emphasis on the wrong clue. After a, a very short cold open, the doc keeps asking his questions, and the condition of the ship is pretty badly damaged. What information he is able to get is bad. It's bad news. But a lot of other information is simply not available. I love that his first question when he finds out that there's nobody on the on board the ship is basically, are they on vacation or are they dead? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Doc does what anyone would do in, in their position. He cracks open the last log entry from the ship. Yeah. And I love a captain's log entry through static when yeah. bangers are getting dropped. Like, it's it's classic stress building in Star Trek, and I, I love it. It works every time for me. That static looked very familiar to me. I wonder if it's the same static as they used in, like, the booby trap episode when they... It looks like the battle does not go well static. Replay last log entry. Heavy casualties. Mine does not go well, Enterprise. It does, yeah. They must have like a the man. Somebody should ship just like a like an aftermarket plugin for Adobe After Effects that you drag and drop onto some onto a piece of footage, and it gives it the battle does not go well static effects. Yeah, I would use it all the time. <laughs> yeah, were I still a video professional. So this last log uh, refers to a a warp core breach that they're trying to triage, and then it cuts off mid log. That's not a good sign. Yeah, he, he starts asking more questions. Um, the escape pods have been ejected, and uh, there's nothing there's nothing alive aboard the ship, basically. So he, he just kind of is like, well, okay, I guess I'm alone forever now. And he goes and uh, kind of plops himself down at his desk. I love that his first thought after realizing what's happened and that everyone is gone is like, I am terminating my program. Verbal suicide note. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, he's he's leaving his uh, his diary when uh, he hears some banging out in the hallway, and um, I thought this was so interesting. Like the the doc is, you know, unlike Data or another synthetic life form, they haven't spent a ton of time interrogating you know, what he is. Like, there's been a little bit of the metaphysics of Doc Holliday, but not a ton. And I think that the fact that he's, like, really afraid when this banging starts is is very interesting. It really it really made him fully human in a way that I, I feel like, you know, he's he's been, like, nervous before, but this is, uh, this is like, a new mode for him. It's consistent with the mystery that's being constructed throughout the episode. Like, why is he scared? That's weird. Like, anything coming through that door could just, like, 
move through him as if he were missed. So right. <laughs> what is the problem even? But I do love the idea of using a hypo spray as a <laughs> as a way to knock out whoever's coming through that door. That's fun. Yeah. But who's coming through that door is BLT. Right. Uh, which comes as a surprise to the doc after hearing that no one was on the on the ship anymore. And BLT tells him that uh, the sensors may be a little bit screwy after this Kazon attack. Not all the escape pods had left. And those that did, like the Kazon beamed all of their occupants under the under their ship and then set out of there. Yeah. So it's a mass kidnapping is what happened. BLT's got a shoulder injury. He's trying to help her with it, but his medical tricorder is uh, apparently affected by whatever is causing problems with all of the other sensors. So he gets a different one, same deal. He cannot scan her. And uh, so he's got he's to kind of resort to frontier medicine. BLT is like, forget about me, Doc. There is a captain on the bridge with a beam that has fallen on top of her, and you know what that means. Somebody needs to get up there, or we're going to be talking about how to abend her. Once the beam falls on you on the bridge, you either set off the Genesis device or you die before you can. Yeah. So what she explains is she's going to send him up to the bridge, and he's like, well, I've got you there. That's not possible. We've established very early in this series that I can only be in six bay or on the holodeck. And she says, well, we've actually been working on this for, for months. We've been setting up hollow projectors all over the ship and working on a way to beam you to other places. And he's like, when were you going to tell me? (laughs) This is like that fun workplace scenario where a manager asks you to do a thing and you think you've wiggled out of the job. Yeah. I'm not qualified to drive a forklift, so I actually can't do what you're telling me to do. They're not observing union rules uh, with the forklifts around here, Doc. A lot of the details that BLT is laying on the dock, on the one hand, make it seem as though Everything bad that could have happened went wrong before the EMH was activated. Right. And it's in totality, that makes it a little implausible. Like, because the the pattern that's going on in the conversation is like, BLT's like, these five awful things have happened. Yeah. And then the EMH is like, well, what about the sixth thing? Can we do that? And then there is a perfectly configured reason why the doc's suggestion can't work again. And this was the part of the episode that that made me suspicious because things mm. were just a little too neat. Yeah, it it is a bit of a Swiss watch and my spidey senses were tingling all through it. And I think that, I think it's intentional. Mm-hmm. Like I think mm-hmm. that they, like the big theme of the episode is question your reality. Yeah. And, and when that reality feels a little tailor-made, it, uh, it starts to work on you and, and, I mean, like that's that's why the ship name not being in the in the report from the computer was like, oh, what what does that mean? Right, right. Like it's got to be meaningful. Yeah. So the last thing the BLT tells the doc before going to the bridge is, uh, you can eat my food, you can sit on at my dinner table, you can ball my wife in my postmodernistic bullshit house, but you cannot touch any energy discharges on the motherfucking bridge doc <laughs> i'll try and so and so with a pat on the ass he sent over there and the bridge is in really bad shape it's like someone destroyed a couple of very large lego kits there mm. the floor is just covered in debris 
Yeah, some of that debris looks accidental, but at least some of it looks like it was done on purpose <laughs> after the accident. Right. Oh! Oh! Yeah! That girder is thick, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's no joke. Uh, on Deep Space Nine, I think this was an episode directed by him, but Rene Abergenois talked about that quality of when Odo's hair was tussled. Yeah. That being visually inspired by like the fallen samurai imagery. And Captain Jameway has that big urn at the end of Kingpin hair going on. I don't know. I'm rich. What do I care? Which I think is a related visual metaphor here. <laughs> <laughs> I worked hard with uh, Jonathan Frakes on getting the aesthetic of that moment just right. Finally, Catherine Janeway is above the law. So he's working on getting her patched up. She's, um, she wants to, you know, the lights are still flickering on the bridge, so she wants to get the power fixed, and uh, that's going to be a EM conduit bypass situation. She's kind of telling the doctor what he's going to need to do to get that going while she goes and works on other stuff. But uh, he doesn't get to crack into that project because they get radioed by Neelix, who apparently is the only person aboard with a working communicator. He is uh, he is in a firefight for his life down in the uh, in the restaurant. Here's a line of dialogue you'll never hear on Voyager: Neelix, thank God you're alive. <laughs> also, don't worry, Captain. This is Neelix. I'll handle it. Yeah. Neelix is the kind of guy that makes his problem everyone else's problem, you know? For some reason, Janeway sends the doc over to where Neelix is rather than continue to triage people on the bridge. There's coffee in the mess hall. And that's where I was like, this is a fake. <laughs> <laughs> we beam down to, we beam with the doctor down to the restaurant where all of the furniture is upended and there is a Kazon with a gun and... Uh, Neelix is, is, you know, back in his uh, galley area throwing fruits and vegetables at the at the Kazon. And it is like, it's so silly. It's almost cartoonishly silly. Missed me. You never see Star Trek get this silly, but it for some reason really worked in this scene. Like, <laughs> Oh, Ben, I, I got to take the other side of this. I think if you're putting together an episode that's meant to build tension and, and suspicion and intrigue, this is almost irredeemably silly. Like the the episode car is put back on the tracks after this, but this one really clanged for me. Oh. Like you don't need the silly. I I really liked the silly. I feel like you have to be confident in your ability to get it back on the tension tracks and I think Frakes is that kind of director, but like it also really worked to make me question like man, like this is so silly. Maybe this isn't a simulation. Like it, it, it seems like so, so cartoonish that uh, all of the uh, all of the things that I had suspected might be going on felt implausible to me after this. I guess my note on this scene might have gone something like, "Why not just kill Neelix if this <laughs> is if you if you can bring him back later and it's revealed later to be." Uh, a holographic projection, but it, but maybe if you kill him in this scene, it's the thing that, like by killing him, maybe that's so unbelievable that right. that it would raise your suspi- your suspicion as a viewer. I mean, it kills his uh, his favorite saute pan. Yeah, RSVP the saute pan. <gasps> the EMH ends up bleeding from 
this interaction uh, and not out of his ears because Neelix is talking to him. Yeah, and that makes no sense because he's not even programmed to do that. So back to Six Bay he goes to, uh, to see if he can get to the bottom of what's going on. When he scans himself there, the tricorder picks up life signs, which isn't supposed to happen when you scan a hologram. And when he, when he begins uh, asking the computer what's up, the computer IDs him as Lewis Zimmerman, the chief medical officer of Voyager. We met Lewis Zimmerman in a, an episode of Deep Space Nine. Right? Yeah. But he's not, an, he's not a medical officer. He's, a, he's an engineer. Yeah. And a jerk. <laughs> so it doesn't make sense. <laughs> he's not able to ask too many more questions before BLT Neelix and Captain Janeway enter the scene with the Kazon. And uh, Captain Janeway kind of troubleshoots the situation with Doc. The doc is like, okay, well, an easy way to confirm whether or not I am a hologram is to just ask the computer to turn off all the holograms. And when he does that, everyone else besides the doc gets turned off. Yeah. And that's not the worst thing that happens. The worst thing that happens is Reginald Barkley appears. (laughs) No, 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 no. Bring them back. Bring them back. And that's when the doc completes his log and then uh, holds a phaser to his temple. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he just he just trudges into his office. Yeah. And uh he uh he punches his own ticket and that's the end of the episode. Yeah. Do you like the episode, Adam? <laughs> Barkley is there to tell the doc that his whole life has been a holodeck simulation, which for Reginald Barkley would be the dream. <laughs> uh, and that radiation has affected the, the, the real human doctor's brain and memory. So that's why he's so confused about his circumstances. Don't panic. idea is that he is, in fact, Dr. Zimmerman there aboard Jupiter Station, where the Holographic Research Institute is based. And this wave of radiation is affecting everything on the station, including this simulation, which is meant to be like an experiment about what if what if you put some Starfleets and some Maquis on a ship and flung them across the galaxy? What would happen, man? Look, we learn by the end that this isn't actually uh, Barkley in this episode. However, what is real is that Barkley works for the Holographic Programming Institute with a specialization in personality research and <laughs> and implantation in these holograms. Hey, uh, Holographic Institute, bad hire. <laughs> Not I, a good hire at all. I was asking myself, who would put Barkley in charge of that? And then I was like, I think Zimmerman might be the one person I can think of that would put Barkley in charge of that. They're both really bad at this. Yeah. Yeah. They need a third person in charge of that work. <laughs> this is another Swiss watch conversation happening here again, because there's like thrust and parry on idea and roadblock here because right. the doc is like, look, I've been on the ship for years and I've had all these adventures with these people. And Barkley is like, no, it's it's been six hours. It's the radiation dummy. And when the doc begins offering up solutions to the problem there. And Barkley has an answer that squishes it almost immediately. Yeah. All of these ideas get funneled into one main course of action, which is the program needs to end. And the only way that it can end effectively 
is if the program shuts down, shuts itself off, which is something that a program only does when its, when its story ends. And the quickest way to do that is to destroy the ship. How dare you? I was really worried because when he starts to set this up, it sounds like they are going to tell us that it's a finish the game mm-hmm. and and it's over, which is uh, the way out of so many holodeck disaster episodes. Right. It's, I was very, very worried that this was going to be another paint-by-numbers, warmed-over storyline. But the destroy-the-ship dilemma is such a great twist on that. It's like, make it a game over, not a you win, right? and, and we can get out of here. But it's a tough sell, right? It's like, punch your own ticket is, is, the, is the way out, and what information would you need to decide that that was the right course of action? Like you'd need extraordinary evidence to believe that that was the way to go. What could convince you? Barkley is such an interesting character from whom this idea should come from, right? There's a frenzy to his performance that is uh, very stressful to be around because his motivation is suggested to be good. He's trying to save the life of of a of a corporeal doctor and 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 boss figure that he has at the station. Yeah. And so he's working like that, but everything he's saying sounds a little crazy to the doctor, and because we side with the doctor naturally, the way it sounds coming from Barkley doesn't sound trustworthy. Yeah. And because of how you and I feel about Dr- Dwight Schultz, <laughs> nothing that he says sounds trustworthy at all. So he's bringing this like the combination of energies at play here yeah. makes for a really uh, stressful mix to be around. Late period Barkley is the character that tells you not to panic while he is visibly panicking. And yeah. that is such a hard like leader to follow. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen. Because these are very low dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. 
Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. I've got to get that platinum. Get that gold enlargement. I've got to get that platinum. Would not. Are you planning a heist? Gold. The clock is ticking, right? Mm-hmm. Like the he's saying that there's about an hour before this radiation is going to kill Dr. Zimmerman, uh, who is a real man and not a hologram. <laughs> and so, like, we need to we need to actually like do this. We don't have a lot of time to to fuck around and debate the the benefits of different courses of action. You just need to go set the warp core to self-destruct. It is extremely big fun when Barkley moves the doctor through time a little bit to prove his point. Like going back to the first episode of Star Trek Voyager and being able to turn off the Paris and Kim simulations is the first example of this. But it's fun to replay earlier episodes through this doctor's eyes and... Yeah. And like get into arguments with those characters and then turn them off. It's a very fun way to introduce like new characters too, because this has kind of the reverse remember me Mm -hmm. thing where it starts with one character and we're kind of adding our our crew back uh, member by member. And (laughs) Paris and Kim don't get a lot of time before they get deleted. Are you convinced yet? I yelled at my TV, don't delete them, delete Chakotay. As long as we're deleting yeah. characters, come on. The idea is to go to engineering and destroy the main holographic matrix. Surely that will solve this problem. But when they get there, they run into Captain Janeway, who in the very first episode of the series is there to troubleshoot a problem before the caretaker uh, beams her and everyone else off of the ship. Yeah, And that happens just in the nick of time. It's it's really fun to like negotiate with someone and then have that person disappear before <laughs> having to make a decision. One of my favorite things about Janeway is how how sharp she is. Like she she picks up on everything and like when Barkley and and the doc are like going like, "Oh, they'll like 
holodeck matrix must be, you know, like, oh, the safeties must be off. She's like, what the fuck are these guys talking about? These guys are suspicious. Security, get on these. I mean, (laughs) I know that you would agree that I would make a terrible Starfleet captain for Miriam reasons, but (laughs) maybe... Maybe the the topmost reason would be that these two guys would walk into engineering and I wouldn't recognize them just because of my kind of face blindness. Like, <laughs> yeah, she's... I'd be like, oh, yeah, they, they're wearing the uniform. They probably belong here. Carry on. Those guys look like they belong. Leave them alone. <laughs> that guy has a weird comb over, but I'm not judging. So they blow up the hollow matrix. Uh, But it turns out that's not going to solve their problem. To solve for this issue completely, it's going to take destroying the ship, and that means shooting the warp core with a dustbuster. And this this shouldn't be possible. It shouldn't be possible to destroy a ship with a dustbuster. They should be so incompatible for that use. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I take a lot of comfort in the fact that no one can fire an unauthorized phaser aboard a starship. Uh, yeah. It does mean our mashed potatoes will be safe. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, the warp core should have, like, concentric layers of bulletproof glass around it or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You should just be naked out there in the middle of that big room. You should need a phaser bazooka to do it. Like, there should be an order <laughs> of magnitude required to destroy a warp core that the dustbuster just couldn't rise to. The doc has basically been persuaded. All of the all of the evidence he needs has mounted up, and Barkley's basically got him convinced. And he's about to do it when another member of the crew shows up. Blow up the damn ship! Ready. Stop! Yeah, I thought we were going to wiggle out of this episode. Without a Chakotay, but uh, like, like he hero shots his way onto the scene, right? He really does. The doors yeah. open. Frakes gives him a pretty glorious entry. Yeah. And he is there to counterpoint Barkley with this circumstance cropping up while the doc was on a hollow vacation during which there was an accident having to do with some radiation. Yeah. And uh, Star Trek, Star Trek feedback loop. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and pain is in the feedback loop the feedback loop is the mind killer mm. uh the feedback loop is the reason for all of this and he just sort of gestures around wildly <laughs> it explains all of it because your memory circuits are being eradicated by the feedback loop and uh the doc just collapses in a feedback loop amount of pain i had a question in my mind that i hoped they would answer in this scene and they didn't which is if the holodeck safeties are off wouldn't blowing up the ship that is being hollow projected in the holodeck be dangerous wouldn't it kill you as it destroyed the simulation the question is at what point does the program end does it yeah does the does the program dissipate faster than the explosion can overtake you is is the ship totaled i guess what you'd need is a isn't is an insurance professional to yeah. come out. If a holographic warp core goes critical, could yeah. it destroy the ship that it is inside of? Like, could could it like, could you could you make a simulation that is so kinetic that it would destroy the ship around it? I mean, that's a fascinating question. Yeah, you could make an entire episode about that. So, speaking in '90s motivational poster quotes, Chicote 
tries to win the doctor back, saying it doesn't matter that you're not a flesh and blood person. There's a crew here that really cares about you. You got a bunch of people here that love you like crazy, but they feel like they're losing you. What is it you want me to do? And uh, you got to come back. And uh, this is when uh, Reg Barkley pulls out the big guns. He brings in Kess Zimmerman, the wife of Dr. Zimmerman. And here is where the mind games really start being played. Barkley plays a cruel game of would you rather <laughs> facing off with Chakotay because Chakotay's made his case, but Barkley's like, wouldn't you rather be Kez's wife? Wouldn't you rather not live in a socialist utopian hellscape <laughs> and instead live in a capitalist society built on, on stomping the lower class? Come on. Come on, Doc. Yeah, I know which one I would pick. His brain is being damaged. The transition that happens here is really nicely done. Like, on paper, it doesn't feel like this transition would work because the Doc is kind of wrestling with this in the bed and and the shots are all very close up. But when we transition into Six Bay Prime, or or the next version of Six Bay, I should say, yeah, with Tuvok what we believe and, to be Six Bay Prime at this moment. Yeah, with Tuvok, Kim, and Kess above his head. It's disorienting in a way that it should be, but it, all, it also feels grounded in the reality that the Doc is expecting to find himself in, which only adds to the mystery of this story at this point. Yeah, the Doc is, is kicking it to Kess as he comes to, saying how beautiful he thinks she is. Too bad Neelix is not in Six Bay for this moment to make it all about him. Right. But uh, yeah. instead, you know, Cass is very flattered and uh, they explain like, yeah, we brought you back. The feedback loop is over. Like you were kind of the like this. This was like, you know, the ship flew through some weird radiation. And except for the computer problems, it has been an uneventful day. This is a classic technique for is this real? Is this not real? Because you never escape the haunted house. Yeah. The first try. Right. And so that's the unsettled feeling we get here. Before it even begins to unravel, it's the, well, this is too easy. This can't be how the story ends. And as soon as the camera goes to fisheye, that that suspicion is confirmed. Yeah. Listen to him, Lewis. No! It's a great moment. It Because, uh, like, even if you don't know a ton about, like, film and television story structure stuff... At this moment, I think everybody goes like, uh, <laughs> this felt too easy. It's almost like a, I mean, that's why a deus ex machina is not a satisfying conclusion to a story, usually. Jennifer Leon's performance here is terrifying in, in exactly yeah. the right kind of way, too. Yeah. She starts to inhabit the character of the wife, basically, right? Yeah. In a desperate attempt to to get Zimmerman to realize uh, that he's a real man and and they're still trying to rescue him the rescue the rescue is still proceeding yeah and Barkley is still there advocating for blow up the damn ship mm-hmm. we get our 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 final transition though back into the holographic grid yeah where we get the captain of Jacote and Kim awaiting him I could tell that we were back to reality because we get spider Kess <laughs> in this scene. Here comes the Spider-Man! And uh, I just don't feel like she would wear that in the uh, in the alternate realities that he's been experiencing. 
It's the same kind of explanation. It's the feedback loop. It's the radiation surge in the computer system thing. But uh, this was this was them really getting him out. And, uh, you know, everybody, like, is double-checking that he knows who he is, where he is, who the president is, how many fingers they're holding up. It seems like there is a real trauma associated to experiencing a, th- a life that you thought was real that isn't, or you're being told isn't, that you think is. I think this charade has gone far enough. And if anything, I feel like we don't get enough time. Like, it's it's one thing for a human character to to go through this, and I know it's quite another for the, the holographic doctor to go through it, but what's a little unnerving about the doctor here is he's able to just go right back to work. And yeah. it feels wrong in a way that feels right for this episode. Like, you're just never meant to feel comfortable at any point throughout. He does the thing that I I wanted him to do, which is test his assumption. Like, am I am I the simulation I imagine myself to be? Right. And sticks his arm out into the hallway to see it disappear. Yeah. In the way that if I lived in Star Trek, I would be muttering computer and program under my breath, you know, five or six times a day just to be sure. Yeah. And so, like, he satisfies himself. But maybe it's that thing of, like, when you have, like, a terrible vacation, you know, and, like, you come home stressed out and it's, like, kind of a relief to kind of get back into your routine. Yeah, he's he's back at home in a way that feels much, much better. He's never going back to the holodeck after this, right? Are you sure about that? Because only bad things happen there for him. <laughs> Are the emitters real, then? The ones that, that project him around the ship? Because that's that's a, an end that is not tied up at the end of this episode. Yeah, I I wished that they had addressed that. It's like it's such a great idea. Seems like it seemed like the techno babble explanation for why it was possible felt probable. So I don't know. Maybe he'll like suggest that in the next episode. Hey, uh, <laughs> while I was in that feedback loop. Some really great stuff got uh, discussed, W slash R slash T, putting hollow emitters elsewhere on the ship. What we don't get at the end of this episode is the finality of a data emotion chip ep where he takes the chip out, puts it in a box, puts yeah. that box on a shelf, and forgets about it for a couple of seasons. And <laughs> I wish I wish we got a little bit of a sense of the stakes here at the end. Like, is the doctor changed by this experience? And it's a little unsatisfying that we don't know. Yeah, it's a little unsatisfying, but were you overall satisfied by this episode, Adam? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullets, I don't like friends, and I don't like you. I love a non-linear story episode. Like, I love how this starts, and I love how we're off to the races. And I really love... When science fiction asks that unanswerable question of like, what is real? What is your reality? Yeah. And that's a version of the genre that I really like a lot. I also, I mean, the things that I didn't like were things that I tend not to like about Star Trek episodes before serialization, which is that it seems like the stakes were so high before they're just gone completely. Yeah. And it feels like this is an episode that could have a lasting impact on the Doctor going forward, and it's just unclear whether or not we know that. I think yeah. Jonathan Frakes, being the director of this episode, had to be an asset for 
Robert Picardo because of the frame of mind and future imperfect episodes. Like those are really great TNG eps where Riker had to ask the same questions that the doctor has to confront in this episode. And I've, I got to believe that they had great conversations on set about how to, how to make, how to confront those issues during the story. So like perfect pairing of a director and an episode to me. Yeah, absolutely. And, and also I think that one thing we've talked about a lot with Frakes is that it's, it feels like he gets to be himself a little bit more as a director than some of the directors that come in and, you know, are just in the rotation. Yeah. Like this episode is so dark and so, um, surreal feeling at times and having a director that can kind of bend some of the rules of how you shoot an episode of Star Trek to get those really heightened scenes and, and compositions um, felt like the right choice. I really like this episode. I mean, I, th- I, th- I think it there's a couple of threads that I wished that it had tied up, but overall just like a really great story and a very interesting character study and one that, you know, made me ask myself, what would I do in these situations? This is exactly the right point in Frakes' career to direct an episode like this, because I, I think if it were a couple of years before, it may be too directorly of him to take on. But like mm-hmm. all of the visual choices here are not crazy flashy. Like when we get the fisheye lens, it's not overdone. Right. It's it, it's happening at the climax of our stressful moment where it's appropriate. Big fun. Totally. The climax of every episode, Ben, is the reading of a priority one message. You want to go <laughs> see what we got in uh, the P1 inbox? Yeah, let's uh, let's go bust into our <laughs> P1 inbox. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. We have a few priority one messages here. The first one is of a promotional nature, and it goes like this. Do you like listening to silly podcasts where a couple of friends discuss some of their favorite sci-fi? Of course you do. So come give Stargatezing a try. Every other Monday, your drunk Shimoda hosts Kathy and Mary discuss an episode an episode of Stargate SG-1 as they work through all ten seasons. There's fun, there's quality drops, there's even some dick jokes. Find Stargatezing wherever podcasts are available. P.S. Ben and Adam, thanks for the laughs in these COVID times and for inspiring us to give this a go. Hell yeah. Just two friends making a dick joke podcast about Stargate. Great idea. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like, didn't we just have a Stargate podcast, P1, like two weeks ago? (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, it was... uh, So we may have set up the the rap beef Stargate podcast rivalry that we always wanted to have with a Star Trek podcast. Yeah. Um, find Stargatesing on your podcatcher and don't forget to hit subscribe not only is Stargatesing a competing Stargate podcast it's also competing with Gates McVadden's self-titled <laughs> podcast so 
kind of a lot to argue with there. If you're the stargazing yeah. show, they, they've got uh, they've got a rat beef triangle. Uh-huh. Is what that's called. <laughs> yeah. Then our next priority one message is from Matt, and it is to you and me. And the message goes like this: The world can be cruel. When I've been at my lowest, your pod was there. You don't have to read this on air. I just felt like showing my appreciation in what seems like a trying time. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for saving me from sleepless nights, stress, and worry. You guys are great, and hopefully all will be well. Best pot I ever had. Wow, thank you, Matt. Yeah. That's really kind of you. Yeah. It has been a stressful time, but uh, we're getting through it. Hopefully all will be well is really just kind of the refrain, isn't it? Yeah. Has been for me. Uh, we got one last P1 here. It's from Casey and Hambone, and it's to Tim. goes like this. Happy 30th birthday, Tim Tim. You inspire us every day with your gray man slash plaid man looks, your flock of seagulls morning hair, your comedic weekly accidents of hitting your shins slash toes slash knees slash head on something, <laughs> your commitment to long showers and long sleeps, and, on a most more serious note, your loving, funny, and genuine nature. We love you. Wow. Tim Tim sounds dope. We missed his birthday by a lot, but he, he sounds he sounds like a great great person. Happy Dirty 30. Hey, uh, good job, Casey and Hambo, not, not taking the easy dunk with the long shower situation that, that Tim's got himself in. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe you don't let Tim use the shower first if you're, uh, if you're going away on some kind of vacation situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Leave a lot of extra hand towels out, you know. You don't want that going down the drain, creating a fatberg. Yeah. Yeah, happy 30th, Tim. Yeah. Thanks to everyone who got a P1. Uh, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron if you're interested in getting one for yourself. We appreciate it. Hey, Tim's birthday was January 14th. Just want to say uh, sorry for being so belated, but we're doing the best we can uh, getting these messages out there. So thanks for your patience. Hey, Adam. What is that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! I feel like Robert Picardo is getting a lot of juicy episodes. Like, not just this season, because this season's too young, but... When he's given an episode and an A story, he has to do a lot of shit. Like, this is not throwing shade at at the higher-ups on the show, your, your Kate Mulgrews, your Robert Beltrans, and what have you. Like, when, when Janeway gets an A story, it is a fairly conventional Star Trek story to carry. Right. But I feel like when you're first on the call sheet and you're Robert Picardo, you have to expect something fucked up. <laughs> like either crazy costumes or a a real psychodrama of a story. Yeah. And that's got to yeah. be a great expectation, I think, if you're an actor. Like, it's not just that it's your episode, it's that it's going to get wild. And that's got to be <laughs> a, a fun thing to be associated with. So I'm just going to give my Shimoda to uh, Robert Picardo for that. Like, who is... He's building a a body of work here on Voyager that has that expectation. And what a fun expectation to have. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to give mine to Frakes for kind of the same reason. I just feel like the the way this episode looks and feels, the way it moves, the way the shots are set up, 
and and like for the wild swings in tone that it takes, like going from Janeway maybe dead on the bridge due to girder mm-hmm. to Neelix is throwing oranges at a pine cone head and <laughs> the fucking yeah. galley. Like it's an episode that just feels like he is he is like fully confident in his abilities and, and, and is moving through it and a way like he is having fun with these scenes and also like you know nailing them in a way that feels really fun it just feels that swiss watchness stuff is there to make your spidey senses tingle but it's also just incredibly satisfying when an episode like clicks together in this in this way yeah and yeah i feel like he really knocked this one out of the park from a directing standpoint so uh he gets my drunk shimoda this is uh this is just hand in glove right here. This sort of episode and a and a Jonathan Frakes. Good fit. Yeah. Indeed. Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. Do it. Do it. Well, what do we have coming up on the next episode, Ben? Let's see. The next episode is season two, episode four, Elogium. The ship is surrounded by creatures whose presence accelerates Kess's reproductive process. And threatens Voyager's key operating systems. Uh-oh. Yowza. Kes is super sweaty again in the little uh, thumbnail next to this description. You know, take it from me. Uh, you do not want to ingest too much elogium <laughs> over the course of a week. Mm. You might think you're doing yourself a favor. Like if you're on, on vacation or something, you want to be at, at the mercy of your digestive system. But uh, mm. not worth it. Yeah. Don't do That'll that. threaten key operating systems. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And your ability to procreate. <laughs> Adam, uh, do you want to head to gach.biz slash game where we keep the game of buttholes, the will of the caretaker, and tell us how we're going to be doing this one? I just logged in, Ben, and I have found our runabout on square 80. Two squares ahead is a caught in the nebula no notes episode, so... That's the risk we take. That would be risky. With the roll here. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. All right. Here goes nothing. Roll it. I rolled a six. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Big roll by me. Puts us on the doorstep of a Measure of a Man episode. Massive roll. I like. Yeah. And uh, that means the next episode a regular old episode that we will have the benefit of notes for so there you go we enjoy those we may get another mornhammered episode here in the next handful (laughs) hope you're ready for that it's not looking good for us (laughs) nor is it looking good for anyone who lives with us if that were to happen no yeah yeah the the eye rolls uh i can i can feel them coming just over the horizon well, uh, that will be the next episode. You know what looks good for us, Ben? What's that? The Legion of the Friends of DeSoto. You'll have to call again. Uh, they look great. Thousands? Tens of thousands? Could there be a hundred thousand Friends of DeSoto out there? Maybe. It just might be. Yeah. They, uh, you can find them in so many places. Out and about? On a patio somewhere? Yeah. Fully vaxxed and ready for partying? Yeah. Uh, you can find them online, too, uh, in just so many places. DrunkShimoto.com is the Discord where you can find tons of them. You can also go over to Twitter, 
They'll use the hashtag GreatestGen when talking about the episodes. And uh, here on Twitter, you can also find the one and only Bill Tilly. He's the one who runs our official Twitter account using uh, the handle GreatestTrek. He also runs our Instagram handle of the same name. And he's always posting great stuff to both. Yeah. Hey, Adam. We got to thank Adam Ragusia, the original music meister of our program. He uh, made the Janeway song. The second best Adam involved in Greatest Gen, yeah. I think. He's definitely in the top two. Uh, he, uh, he, of course, based his work off of Dark Materia, who made the original Picard song. But now Adam Ragusia has a, a, a really respectable career. He's moved on from exclusively being a Star Trek musician and, and now has a cooking show on YouTube. I really recommend. There's great stuff over there. That means there's hope for you and me, Ben, of a post-Star Trek lifestyle. Happen. <laughs> uh, probably not. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> this is a life sentence. Well, uh, with that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager that uh, threatens your key operating systems if, uh, if you aren't careful when you play it on your device. So just know that ahead of time. Oh, jeez. Maybe go incognito on the next yeah. step. <laughs> yeah. Put it in I'd private it. browsing. Make it so. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.